Welcome to Equestrian Movement's First Do No Harm podcast. I'm your host, Katie Boniface, co-founder of Equestrian Movement with Sarah Gallagher. We work with horse riders who want to build a stronger bond and a deeper connection with their horses. In our First Do No Harm podcast, we discuss with other industry professionals how to work with horses to firstly do no harm and secondly support their mental, emotional and physical well-being throughout the training process so that we have horses that enjoy learning and ask to be ridden. Each episode, we discuss the different influences our training can have and how we can improve our horses' overall athleticism, soundness of mind and body, and emotional fortitude, while strengthening and deepening our relationship with our horses. Each week, I will endeavor to bring to you a new episode on horse riding, training, handling and husbandry for an interview with other industry professionals to help you address where and why you might get stuck in creating the beautiful union of dancing souls that is the equestrian sport. Are you ready to kick off today's show? Let's get started. Hey team, Katie here from Equestrian Movement and today I wanted to talk to you about what we're looking at achieving when we integrate our holistic horse handling skills. So our holistic horse handling skills is an awareness that the horse has uh, is an emotional and sentient being capable of intelligently uh, understanding and problem solving and communicating with us. And so when we're looking at, you know, a behavior or a skill that we're trying to develop with our horses, whether it be picking up their leg to do their hooves or doing flying changes, the first thing that we are working on is the horse's emotional response to the ask. So we want to understand how we are in relationship to our horse. So whether you believe you are or not, you are always in relationship with your horse. Whether you believe it or not doesn't really matter. It's Even if you're not conscious of how you are relating to each other, you will be unconsciously behaving in relationship to your horse, how you've been conditioned through previous experiences. To be in relationship is how you are connected to each other and how you behave towards each other. Horses have a similar internal environment and biology that conditions their social engagement behavior. So your horse will behave based on their previous experiences, their herd dynamics, and how you respond to them. And what you really want to understand is that if you didn't love this part of working with horses, you'd ride motorbikes because we're going to have the same thrill of the speed and the jumps and all of that kind of thing, but uh you wouldn't have the sentient, emotional, intellectual part. Sometimes that part can make working with horses feel incredibly hard, but sometimes it can also make working with horses incredibly rewarding. So your motorbike isn't going to bite you or stomp its foot or kick out at you or, you know, strop at you if if it's unhappy about doing a certain thing. However, your motorbike also isn't going to protect you or save you when, um, you know, you maybe line it up on a bad line or, um, you know, make a bad choice about a jump or something like that. You can have a good working relationship, agreed terms for work and effort, work and effort in exchange for feed and accommodation. It doesn't necessarily create a willing horse that's eager to please and wants to look after you, but they do their job. 
most hobby horse riders are looking for and beginner to intermediate riders are looking for more than a working relationship with their horse. They want a horse that enjoys their job, their company, that looks after them. This exchange requires significantly more from us, much more love, more commitment, more skills in navigating lack of congruence with the ask. This is where we need to play by the social law of reciprocity, a fair exchange. A lot of riders can get caught up in how much they spend on the horse in adjustment fee, tack, vets, trainers. (laughs) We know how long that list goes. However, the horse doesn't have a strong comprehension of this exchange. The fair exchange they need is emotional effort for appreciation. That's what we're really looking for. That's what really drives them. As soon as the reciprocity is out of balance, one or both no longer feel like the exchange is fair. And so that's when we're going to see issues in how we relate to each other, which become arguments and escalate into behavioral issues. So we're appreciating that our horse feels a certain way about the way that we engage with them. And we're trying to develop a reciprocity so that they have a positive experience in engagement with us. The next thing that we have to be aware of is that the horse has the ability to problem solve and is clever. They're quite smart. And so they need to actually know what the answer is to the question that we're presenting them. Quite often I can see horses that uh, have been had have had negative reinforcement as their main training tool for conversation that don't understand that the release of pressure is marking the behavior that they're seeking the release of pressure to um they're seeking the behavior that gets them the release of pressure and so all they're experiencing is this high pressure high tension environment where they don't know how to get away from that pressure and they don't know what the right answer is and so that's where we can see these escalated fear behaviors And then if negative reinforcement is the only tool in the toolkit, how uncomfortable, painful, or stressful does that pressure have to be for the relief of it to be the motivation? It's really important to understand is that if the release of pressure is the motivation for your horse, how uncomfortable, painful, stressful or scary does that pressure have to be for relief to be a motivation and so this doesn't really create a horse that I enjoy working with is that I it doesn't really create an experience that I want to be in either this like form of manipulation of scaring or making the horse uncomfortable or threatening them to try and coerce a particular behavior out of them is not conducive to a healthy working relationship with the horse. What we're doing instead with our cueing is we're trying to create language with the horse. So I do really enjoy introducing training through clicker training and through uh, treat training really because we can be very clear on marking the behavior and motivating the behavior and it is really engaging for the horse to participate whilst at the same time having the conversation with them around reciprocity is that fair exchange is that I've I'll give you treats for certain us 
And then they can tell me, you know, if I've stretched the ass too far, then I can see through their frustration behaviors or where they lose engagement in the ask with that protected contact there so that it's safe for both me and for the horse. And so then we start to develop this working relationship, what this fair exchange looks like for the unique individual horse and the unique individual human that's not to say that all of the work that we do is tree training it's just one tool in our toolkit that starts eliciting this conversation with our horse so first we want our horse to positively engage and respond to us Second, we want them to understand how to find the answer if they don't know what the answer already is and then how to give us the answer to the question. Because what fires wires? So if we're threatening a horse to get a response, then we're going to have a threatened nervous system. So the horse is always going to be constantly like in that state of responsivity of feeling under threat. So if we're you know, taking them down into a more relaxed nervous system, we don't want them asleep either. So how do we re-engage and get that positive work ethic and that engagement and interest in training? It's really about how we structure that um, reciprocity, not just with the treats, but with the repetitions of the ask. So when we move into the saddle, we're going to be conditioning the horse's body if we're just drilling the behaviors then the horse isn't going to use itself well because it's going to fatigue so we're looking at how many repetitions we're going to do before we change the ask and how many uh, sets of those repetitions are we going to do before we allow the horse to relax and have a break so Again, it's like how we're engaging the nervous system in its response to us in relationship. And then it's also how we engage the nervous system in response to its relationship to the environmental stress of work so that the horse is in the right mental space to be able to use its body with relaxation and effort. Trying to get our athletic horse, so getting our workhorse, our athlete, we're looking for relaxation, effort, and focus. This is really hard to achieve. Like a lot of humans don't know how to get to that level of relaxed effort, holding focus without it being stressful and creating anxiety. It's a different area of our brain that we want to be in. And a lot of it actually has to do with the engagement of the diaphragm, which is super fun and another tangent that we can go down a different day. But if you don't know how to motivate your horse without startling, if you used, you know, the way that you engage your horse in training on other animals and it wasn't going to work the same, it's going to, you know, maybe trigger aggression or stubbornness or that kind of thing, then you're activating a startle reflex to get responsivity. For example, flags, you know, we hear lots of people use flags for gaining the horse's attention, but you're really just startling them. You're triggering their startle reflex. You do that to a donkey and it just gets more stubborn. You know, you don't want the horse to be working with you in a flight state because then you're just spooking the horse and trying to control spooked behaviors and spooking the horse and trying to control spooked behaviors and spooking the horse and trying to control spooked behaviors. It's very hard 
to learn in that mental space. Anybody that knows anything about how trauma works and how like information is learned and processed understands that that area of the brain that feels threatened and feels scared makes it almost impossible for them to think clearly and to learn well. So we're looking at shifting them into more of an information processing part of their brain so that they can take the information in, process it, and output. And you know what? It takes a little bit more patience and we have to give them a lot more space than what we traditionally do in our traditional way of working with the horses. This one was actually really difficult for me to learn and it took a very stubborn horse to teach it to me. Thanks, Rabbit. (laughs) Is that not every horse thinks quick. Like the different breeds think slower, move slower, do things slower. You know, Arabs get such a bad reputation because they're often smarter than the humans and can outthink them before we know what to do with them. And so they're super intelligent where they can receive and process that information really quickly. Thoroughbreds can be a little bit the same, although sometimes they have that heightened nervous system state and responsivity without necessarily um, being incredibly clever like Arabs are. They can sometimes have that slower processing time like more of a Clyde does. I have definitely met plenty of thoroughbreds that have that quick processing time frame, but a lot of them are a little bit slower. And thinking about it, a lot of them are gelding. So I wonder if even the process of castration affects their ability to process information because we don't have that hormonal aspect interplaying with their brain development. Absolutely zero science behind that, behind that, but it would be interesting if there was a, some well-executed um, studies on that. Anywho, so then we can like move more into like our thoroughbred crosses with the Clydes, like our heavier horses, what you would call a warm blood, which is, you know, the cross between the heavy and the light bred horses. And then we can move down into like more of our colder blooded horses, like their body moves slowly, but they can still be quite quick and intelligent. They just don't um, respond in their body quickly. So we need to adapt to our horses processing time. One of the things that we use in the school is a stop ready cue. So they can tell us if they need to stop and process. Sometimes they even need to stop and fill their emotional cup. Like if we're doing, say, like our clicker training work, our treat training work, they can become overexcited and hypervigilant in that. And they tell us to like kind of stop for a little bit so that they can self-regulate. This is, you know, well-educated school horses that are capable of communicating, hey, I'm overstimulated right now. That makes me unsafe with these kids that are not as skilled. I I need a break from this very stimulating and uh, training session that's making me hypervigilant. Let's just do some licking. They're, they're just so beautiful with like, you know, anytime that I think that I have seen the full spectrum of what horses are capable of, they just open up this whole new level and this whole new world of what this experience can look for. And this is one of the biggest limiting factors that we can put on our relationship with our horse is say, oh, it's just a horse. It can't do that. It's not that smart. 
if you think that your horse isn't smart enough to do it, then it won't be because you're not creating the environment and the space for them to succeed at it. And even if they are trying to do it, you're not going to see it because the way that horses engage is so subtle. So part of the training process, the emotional agility, the self-regulation, the, their emotional engagement with us and their intellect to understand what the answers is. And then so we're wiring this specific you know, nervous system state, which becomes their posture. And then that's how they work under saddle. So you can't get relaxation and swing in a horse that's mentally tense. You need to establish a horse that has mental relaxation for it to get into a posture of relaxation for it to work with relaxation and swing. So this is what we're doing to prepare ourselves for our in the saddle work, right? Is we're looking at their state of relaxation and if they're holding tension. Uh, do they feel safe? Are they feeling safe enough to relax? Do they feel safe in their environment? Do they feel safe in relationship to us and their herd dynamics and within themselves? The next thing that we're looking at is do they feel safe to take direction from us? So not all horses are going to confidently take direction from us and trust that we're going to tell them to do things that are good for them. So if we, you know, overface ourselves or overface them, then we're going to create a little micro tear in trust and confidence and they're going to be less willing to take direction from us because they don't feel like we have their best interest at heart. So we're looking at creating that situation where they feel safe to take direction from us and then do they have the answer to the question have we set them up appropriately to know how to answer us have we asked them in a way that makes them feel good in their body to receive that ask and then if we have all of that sorted then sometimes they can just be uncomfortable with what we're asking them to do. Maybe they have an issue that needs addressing with like pain or hooves or subtle or tack fit, or maybe they don't know what the answer is, or maybe they're frustrated because they don't feel like the reciprocity is there. It's like plenty of reasons. So how are we going to set our horse up for success so that they can give that behavior that we're asking for? And so then we're going to take that into the saddle and by that stage we have a beautifully fleshed out relationship with our horse where they know how to communicate tension to us and their needs to us and we have this open dialect with them and we can you know move easily into our ridden behaviors. So while this might sound like a lot and it might sound very complicated It's actually quite easy once you understand horse behavior and how they're communicating with us. And it actually makes it a lot easier and a lot safer to work with their horses. I have students that can probably go through this whole education process easily within six months to a year where they understand what we're doing, where we're coming from, and what we're trying to achieve. And so while the process itself and learning about it is quite simple, sometimes it's not always easy because we're in relationship with our horse. And so our horse often reflects, you know, how we are in relationship to ourselves. And then we also reflect how we have experienced relationships with others. So there's a lot of these compounding factors, which means that 
like working with horses can be such an inside job where we're going to have to like rewire some things within ourselves to create this nice peaceful harmonic exchange with our horses but at the end of the day it's like absolutely worth it and it's so much nicer and uh, smoother to work with our horses once we have it established. So if you're interested in understanding how to read the horse's body language and how to engage with them on an emotional level and have that level of communication with them, then our Holistic Horse Handling program is open from the time that this podcast episode goes live. It will only be open for a couple of days. We do this because uh, we open and close our Holistic Horse Handling program over the school holidays when I'm having a break from the actual school. And then we close the doors when I go back to the school so I can focus solely solely on our students and our new members to the Holistic Horse Handling program. So if you've been listening to this podcast for a while now and you've been binging episodes with me, <laughs> hi, thanks. We've enjoyed having you here, (laughs) but definitely take a moment to jump over and and have a look at what the Holistic Horse Handling Program is, because it will help you make even more sense of what you're listening to in these podcast episodes and make it significantly more tangible for you. I have done this with other people that I listen to and their courses, and the podcast and the course go hand in hand. We can't, like, teach you in podcast episodes what we teach in a fully fleshed out program and course where you can, like, layer the exercises on top of each other and, and really dig into the theory behind it and make it more make more sense. We can do that in a course and a program. And so then I'm when I'm referencing these tools that we use, when you're listening to the podcast, you can dig into the program and you can look at that specific tool and how we use it and how like the videos of when we're using it with the horses and how we uh, interpret their behavior in response to the tools and those kinds of things. So really, you know, getting in and having a look at these tools in practice There's definitely a certain amount that you can kind of like work your way through yourself just from listening to these podcasts. And then what happens is you're like listening and you're like, well, I'm just missing that thing that I haven't seen or I don't understand. And so then you can go into the course and and pick that particular aspect of it and experience it and integrate it and use it. And then it just makes the what we share on the podcast here, just make that little bit more sense. So it just hits a little bit better for you to integrate into your training with your horse. The link to the training is in the show notes. Jump over, have a look around. Otherwise, that's it from me for today. Until next time, happy trails. If you're loving what you're listening to on the podcast, you might be starting to recognize that trying to control your horse through submission-based training is the worst way to ask your horse to look after you. If you're working with or riding horses, you know how unpredictable and sometimes scary they can be. Unfortunately, most struggling horse riders make the mistake of thinking they can physically control their 400 plus kilo fur babies by moving their feet or spooking them into responding with flags and join up. Without giving your horse a reason to care about you and look after you, 
you will most likely end up with a horse that is disconnected at best, shut down or explosive at worst because they can't communicate their needs with you. Especially if you are already scared, worried or nervous handling your horse. That's why we've created our new free online training experience, Building a Connection with Your Horse. This is how I've gone about creating safe horses for beginners, no matter the breed or previous handling experiences. If you want to learn the secret source behind developing safe horses that care about you and look after you without trauma triggering training methods, register for our new training today at www.equestriummovement.com forward slash connection and I will uncover the three big mistakes you might be making if you're trying to build a relationship with your horse and how you can start building your horse's trust and confidence in you as a leader worth following.